Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you today. My name is Dan, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Life, and it's good to see you today as I'm going to continue on a message I began last week, and we're going to finish it off this week. Before I do that, I just want to uh, just call attention. I made the announcement this morning in our Look Through Life that I'm going to be leading a trip to Israel in December. We had originally planned on doing that right before COVID. We were finalizing the negotiations with the company that will lead it, and um, then COVID hit, and that kind of put a kibosh on it for a while, uh, but we were able to resurrect it. Actually, we've changed companies. Uh, the company that we're going to be using, actually, um, uh, is one, several years ago, we had Frank Turek, is an old friend of mine, um, who is a national apologist, lives in this area. He used our auditorium. And um, to talk about things that were going on in the Middle East. And he brought this tour guide that he'd used for many years in and spoke to us. And I was super impressed that night. And then uh, a couple of other people knew him and had been on tours with him, and they mentioned him to me. So we were almost ready to, to uh, uh, sign with a contract with, with a company. And I thought, you know what? Let's just see if he can come anywhere close to the price. Well, he gave us an even better price. So the price we've got is actually quite extraordinary. And, uh, and I would just really urge you to take a look at it. It's one of those once-in-a-lifetime bucket list type trips. Um, and actually, we didn't show this, uh, but uh, there's an eight-day and then a two-day add-on. So you can do eight days and come home, or you can go 10 days. If you go 10 days, we go to Petra and uh, in, in uh, the nation of Jordan, and then we leave from there. Uh, and I've never been there, so I'm looking forward to adding that onto my own uh, trip. Obviously, because I'm leading the trip, I need to be there anyway. But um, I, if you want information on this, we're going to do it next, not next Sunday, two weeks from today. Uh, well, probably, we're actually, because we can take 55 people, um, which is medium-sized group. We could have taken more, but it's just, it gets too complicated with that many people. We'll do it again in a couple of years. Uh, so it would be the first 55 people that, that pay their, their down payment. But I think we're going to meet over here. Uh, after this this service two weeks from today, so that'll that way you won't just be able to move over there and migrate. And you know if you're if you're in a position to be able to do that, I think um, you'll you'll never see the the Holy Land the same after you go. And uh, to be able to go with this tour guide, I think is a unique opportunity. So looking forward to that. Um, and uh, lots of stuff going on right now, isn't it? Uh, the, our our uh, uh, alongside families, make sure you go by there and, and hit that up. Make sure you look at what's going on in kid life right now. Ladies' Bible studies going on during the week. We had men's coffee yesterday. We got things happening in uh, the student ministry department. We got things we can't even tell you about that we're, the elders are working on. I'm just so excited about uh, this season in Life Fellowship Church. I'm so glad you're here this morning as we continue this series. If you did not go back, uh, if you did not, we're not here last week, I'd urge you to go back. I'm we only covered one point last week, which doesn't surprise you if you know me, but uh, I, I did a setup for this. this. What I'm going to be teaching on this morning is not a, an expositional sermon. I mean, we're going to approach the scripture methodically, but it's not a true exposition. It's, a, it's kind of a sermonar. It, it's something that I think will be practical. The other thing I just kind of want to mention is, is this. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's tricky being a pastor um, because like in a room like this, there's just a wide variety of, of people here. Uh, we've got young children. We've got teenagers. We've got single adults. We've got young couples who don't have children. We've got people with children. People with teens who've got empty nesters. We've got senior citizens all in one room. Oh, by the way, we've got people who didn't graduate from high school, people who are in high school, people who graduated from high school but didn't go to college, people who graduated from college, people who have graduate degrees, people who are professional, people, and, and all, you know, all that. We've got people who are not believers in this room. You're just kind of, I don't know why you're, you, you, where you're at in your spiritual life, but maybe maybe you just not reached a point where you've formed a personal relationship with Christ, and that's that's great. Glad you're here. Uh, you got. We also have seminary professors in here. All right, people who uh, who probably do a better job exegeting the word than I can, and 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 so forth. So trying to give everybody in a 30 minute, 45 minute block of time something that they can take home and chew on is a challenge. Right? The same is true of this series. So we've got the family legacy series going on. 40% of the people in this country are not married. And even of the 60% that are married or cohabitating, many of those don't have children or don't have children living at home anymore. So why should you come to church? Why should you be here? And, and I kind of want to address that because from time to time in the life of the church, there's going to be times when you come to church and you say, well, there's nothing in there for me. I they're not meeting my needs and so forth. Hang on. Remember back in the 90s, we had a certain female politician who wrote a book, It Takes a Village. Do you remember that? So, it will come as no surprise to you that when that book came out, 
I too wrote a book. <laughs> and it's, it doesn't take a village, all right? And actually, this it was, it's just in a book. It's a booklet. <laughs> and uh, sold about 100,000 copies of it. <laughs> so um, it was my answer to the village. Uh, because many times when people say it takes a village, and I know it comes from an old African proverb, and I'm not trying to be political, but a lot of times when people say it takes a village, they mean we want the government to really run your kids and, 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 and raise your kids. No, that's a big hard no. That's a full stop no, all right? That is not the job of the government to tell me how to rear my kids. The job of the government is so that I'm free to rear my kids in the way that my conscience dictates and my faith leads me. All right, so that's, that's a philosophical issue and why I, I wrote this booklet. But they, and I, this has been out of print for years. I found one on my, my bookshelf this morning, so I thought I'd, it's, it's, it's really some really gross art, isn't it? I'm telling you, it's just really it's embarrassing. Uh, but what I want to say, here, here's the deal. The number one disciple maker in every home should be the parents. That's the responsibility. That's where it starts and, and ends. However, there is validity to the point that the parent, on their initiative, seeing needs that they can't best meet, invite others to join them in the process. And you need to be in charge of who you join, have joined in. You need to be proactive about that. And that may involve other people that are even in this room, all right? My kids are raised, and I thank God that they're not, well, I've got one that lives with me, but special circumstances. But, you know, I thank God I survived those years. It was 25 years of quite a significant challenge, all right? And I'm enjoying this phase of my life where my wife and I can go out to dinner and it doesn't involve car seats and paying bills and, you know, extra bills. And I, I enjoy that. I love my adult children. I love my grandkids. But each phase is different in life. However, there are times when people will say to me, Pastor Dan, would you mind speaking to my child on this? Would you mind addressing this? Or could you give me some advice on this? That's where the community of believers comes in. And I want you to understand that's healthy. That's important. As parents, you can't be an expert on everything. And you know the weird thing is, and it's very frustrating, but sometimes somebody will say something to your children that you would have said in the exact same way that you would have said it, and they will listen to them like it came from the mount of God himself. And you're like, I've only been saying this for 20 years. What's wrong with you? You know, But it clicks with them. So don't resent that. Lean into it. Solicit that. Let it be part of, of your, your, your journey. Because the family of God will last longer than your earthly family anyway. And we do have that privilege and that responsibility. Here's what I'm saying. Inasmuch as the word of God is always written for us, if not directly to us. All right? Because there are times in history, different peoples, the scriptures. But it's all written for us. Not every sermon is to you, but they can all be for you. There may be some people that are in your family, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace that will benefit from something you learn or you hear today, even if your kids are grown, even if you're single, even if you're single again, even if you're a single parent, whatever it is, don't shut down during this moment. Because God may be wanting you, be, be, may be wanting you to be part of somebody else's life. Because truth is truth, Right? And it doesn't have to be delivered by, you know, somebody who has credentials or somebody on a platform. It can be delivered over a cup of coffee as well as it can be delivered from a, from a, from a megaphone, all right? So embrace that. And I want to encourage all the single people here and the grandparents and the people who live away from family that you have a part, you have a role in family legacy. You have a role in generational shifting as a mentor, as a voice, as, as a, a vent location where somebody can say, I think I'm losing my mind. And you say, no, no, you're not losing your mind. Let's talk. Let me take you out for a cup of coffee. Let me watch the kids while you and your husband go have a date night and work through this. There's opportunities all across to be a part of what God wants to do. So let's, let's go back to this topic. Let me start the way I started last week with these statements. There is no silver bullet. There is no secret formula. There is no magic recipe. There are no guarantees that your children will turn out right, adults who love Jesus the way that you do at home, or better, with a biblical worldview that guides your decision-making, with correct spiritual priorities, 
or even with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do these six steps, if you follow this, this, this angle, if you listen to me today, there are no guarantees. I wish I could tell you there are, but there isn't. You need to know that. Vance Havner, who was a great Southern Baptist evangelist back in the 1900s, said this. He said, man must do what God has commanded man to do, and then God will do what only God can do. Let me say that again to you. Man must do what God has commanded that man should do, and then God will do what only God can do. The work of transformation that takes place at the point of salvation is not something that you or I have any control over. That is a work of God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. He literally convicts us. He draws us to himself. He calls us to salvation. And then he gives us eternal life through the new birth. That is God's plan. And he is the only one who is in control of that? I wish there was. I wish I could tell you if you bring your baby up at eight days of age and I put a little water on his head, that he, will, that he will suddenly be part of the church and part of the kingdom of God, part of the family of God. And I understand there are some faith practices that exercise that, but I will challenge you, show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible one time where an infant, somewhat child, who did not know the difference between right and wrong or the right hand or the left hand even, who makes a decision, he can't, right, to follow Christ and then is baptized and that seals him forever. You can't do that. I wished you could, because if we could, I'd be running through the, the hospitals, sprinkling babies right and left, and encouraging people to bring them down, and, 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 and I, I would love to do that. But we can't make the Bible say something it doesn't say and maintain our, our, our integrity theologically. And, and so you say, well, what about all the people that do it? Again, our... <laughs> Our paradigm, our point of view, our perspective always needs to be, what does God's word say? Not what have they done historically. Not what the majority do. Not what a guru says. But whether it's Dan Burrell or a pope or a bishop or a, a, you know, an intellectual or somebody, whoever it is, we always begin and end with the word of God. That's why the doctrine of soul autonomy is so important. If we could decide for our children, most of us would, but we can't. What can we do? We can do what God has commanded us to do, and we find it here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I want us to look, first of all, what we checked last week. These words that I command you shall be on your heart. The one point I got to last week was this one, and that is discipling your children must be a priority for all parents. It must be a priority for the parents. If it's not a priority, then it's never going to happen, and it's never going to happen the way that it should happen. The fact is, when something is on your heart, it becomes a priority. We often talk about lead your heart, follow your heart. Well, why is that? Because that's what you basically want. The Bible says that the, the, you know, many of the issues of life come from the heart. It's, it's what we think is important. It's what we believe. And while it's kind of a picture word that we use, we understand what it means. If it's important to you, it's on your heart. If you believe in it, it's on your heart. If it's a priority to you, it's on your heart. And here's what God said to Moses as he was delivering instruction to his people. He said, these words that I command you today need to be a priority. What I'm telling you to do needs to be not a, if I get around to it, but I'm going to make it happen issue in your life. Last week, we looked at the idea that fathers and mothers have different roles in this responsibility. And I want to be, we need to be willing to look at the world and look at the philosophy that is being taught today and say, no, not in my house. No, I'm not going to swallow it. And no, I'm not going to be passive about it. There is a difference between men and women. It is biological and it is supernatural. It is by assignment. It is not a value, a matter of value or worth. It's not like this, it's just different. And when you understand that, it allows you to fully accept the divine design of God and to embrace it in your life and to fulfill its plan in a way that is glorifying to God and that it is good for those you influence. And dads, we are called 
to be the leader of the home. And we, we, we looked at just some generalities, the fact that most men lead with a sense of significance, of accomplishment, of, 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 that's embodied by their, their strength, their testosterone, their, their aggressiveness. That's the way men are. And women grow uh, out of a sense of security. They're nurturers. They, they take care of, they love, they're gentle, they're kind, they're compassionate. It's the steel fist in an iron fist, in a, in, a, in a velvet glove, and combined together, it's good. It's good. If, 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 if we mess with this design, there are consequences that impact not only our culture, but impact our homes. And so we need to embrace that. You need to be in partnership with your spouse. That's why you need to fight for your marriage. And, and I understand tragedies happen. And I'm not here to put a guilt... Uh, on, on somebody. But I will tell you this. Divorce is the last resort reserved for certain biblical reasons. It's not a first result. It's not simply because, well, things just didn't work out the way we thought they were. Or it's just inconvenient. It'd just be easier. Those aren't excuses for divorce. You have to work at every relationship that matters in your life. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids. And that means giving of yourself. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What does that mean? He died for us. And guys, we've got to be of a mindset and of a posture that says, I will give my last breath, my last drop of blood, my ultimate effort will go to this woman that God has given me, and I glorify him by being the servant leader in my home. And I will do right all the days of my life, and I will be faithful, and I will be kind, and I will be generous, but I also be a provider, and a protector, and a leader, and a lover. I will be those things because I have the greatest example that has ever been, and that is example of how Christ loved the church. I love the church. That's, you say, that's old-fashioned. That's patriarchal. No, folks, it's biblical, all right? I'm not talking about being some kind of overbearing, oppressive, angry, toxic force in your home. I am talking about being a servant leader who leads in gentleness and love and concern, but also in strength and in direction and with the authority that God has assigned to them. And so this is prioritization. This is godly leadership. This is doing it God's way. I can preach on this for the whole morning, but now i got to get to the actual points, okay? Here we go. Number two, which is fresh material. Number two, discipling parents need a plan. Discipling parents need a plan. Let me take you back to the scripture again. It's very, very clear. What does the scripture say? In verse 7, you shall teach them. You shall teach them. Now, why do you say that that has anything to do with being a plan? Well, I think most of you know this, but if you don't, my degrees that I hold, my academic degrees, are all in the field of education. I do not have a seminary degree. I did not go to school to be a pastor. You'll be surprised, by the way, at how many pastors did not go to school to be a pastor. We get called into that. I've studied a lot of hours to be qualified, and I had to go through a regimen, and I'm ordained. But I will tell you this, that if you want to talk about education, I can talk to you about that all day long. Because my bachelor's degree is in English and history. So if while you're telling me about the history of something, you mangle your English, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to circle your words in red in my mind. I'm going to correct your grammar. And don't you dare end a sentence with a preposition because I'm going to have, that's in my head, right? My, that's one of my most endearing, endearing attributes to my family. They just love when I correct their grammar. They appreciate it so much. My other gift is sarcasm. Um, you know, no, the, re, the reality is I can teach English in history. I enjoy it. I'm certified for it in, in, uh, on the secondary school level. Then I got my master's degree, master's of science in educational uh, uh, administration. Uh, I needed that to become a principal. I actually became a principal before I finished that, but I was a school principal at 25 years of age, which not a sign of anything on my part, just how desperate the school was to have a principal. And, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm, I was 26 by the time I finished that degree, and I said, well, I've gone this far, I might as well keep going, so I got a doctorate in educational leadership. And, uh, and use absolutely nothing of what I spent all that time and effort uh, getting all those years at this stage of my life, which is often true of our education. But I did learn how to learn, and I did learn how to teach. And so when, when I tell you that teaching is the result of a plan and discipling parents need a plan, this is one area where 
I'm going to say I at least have some credentials that you need to listen to. Because a failure to plan is a plan for failure. Teaching to objectives does not happen accidentally. you got to think about it. And discipleship does not happen accidentally. You need to have a plan for it. We're going to talk about that extensively before we dismiss here in a few minutes. But the reality is many people approach this important aspect of their parenting responsibility with a haphazardness that should not surprise us whenever nothing good comes out of it or nothing permanent comes out of it at the end. And so we need to make sure that we have a plan for what we're going to be doing. And here's a recommendation before we get into the plan, and that is this. Talk about it before you get married. Talk about it when you get married. Talk about it when you have children. Talk about it when the children go to school. Talk about it again when they hit elementary school. Talk about it when they're entering middle school and then high school. And by the way, if you've got adult parents, you know this is the case, or adult children, you know this is the case, you're going to be talking about it all your life. It's just you never, you never retire from being a parent. Just thankfully they move out. But other than that, you're still going to be parenting in a variety of different ways, as well it should be. That's the joy and blessing of being grandparents, and to be able to do some other things. And I'd love to get into all kinds of detail on this. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm actually outlining a book that I'll eventually turn into a textbook for one of my courses. But the power of grandparents, the powers of aunts and uncles and cousins and relatives within a family dynamic is so important. And we've lost a lot of that in this country because we're so mobile. You know, we move away. And, I, you know, my kids never grew up near a grandparent. Uh, three of the four grandparents were dead, and my mom lived 1,100 miles away. So we had to have grandparents in the church, people they literally called Papa, you know? I mean, that was, that was and, and they, they helped. They, they encouraged. They, they were part of it. And, and, and that, again, goes back to this idea. We had to have a plan. We wanted older voices speaking into the lives of our younger children. We thought this was an important part of their development. What is your plan? What is your plan for discipleship? And you say, well, I don't even, I'm not, I'm not even married yet. I got to tell you. You ought to be thinking about this in advance. Uh, and I asked my college kids this, what are you going to do whenever you have children? It's, it's interesting. A lot of kids in this generation, and you ought to talk about it with your kids, are saying, I'm not going to have children. The world is too hard. The world is too tough. I don't like that, but that's what they're saying. Generation Z is, I don't plan on having children. We're going to be childless by choice because this world is too hard. Sometimes they say because it's too expensive, and that's when I jump on the brakes really, really hard, and we've got to stop and talk right then about that. But I want to tell you, fear is not a good motivation in any aspect of your life, and that includes having children. So having children is a blessing as part of what God wants us to do. It's a, it's a privilege, it's a delight, and, and, and we need to do that. But you ought, to, you ought to start thinking about it. The other thing that Generation Z kids tell me is they're going to be harder on their kids than they, they've had on them, which is really interesting because they're always griping about how hard they've got it and how hard their parents are on them. But I will ask them over and over again. It's, a, it's kind of a game I play. And some of you are sitting in here and you heard me do it. I'll say, well, if you were a parent and you had a kid like you, oh, well, if I had a kid like me, I'm telling you this, they'd be homeschooled, they wouldn't have car keys, and I'd take their phone every day. You know, really, how interesting. And tell me again how mean your mom and dad are. You know, and they laugh and I laugh and, and then we cry. And, you know, it's, it's, just, it, it's hard. It's really hard. But, but the, the, the reality is there is going to come a day if you're sitting in here and you're 12 or you're 16, you're 18, that God is likely to give you children. And when he does, you ought to think about what you want for your kids. You know how hard it is right now. You know how hard it is for your family. You know how tough it is to go to school. You know what it means to be bullied. You know all the messages that are coming through your telephone and through YouTube and through TikTok. You know all that stuff. You better have a plan for how you're going to raise your kids up because I'll promise you this, Satan has a plan. He has a plan, and his plan is to kill and maim and destroy. And if we aren't thinking proactively all the way up, I, you know, and I'm glad my dad would often say to me, you know, someday you're going to have a son. Someday when you grow up, you're going to have a family. Someday you're going to have a wife. Say, Dad, I'm eight. Can I enjoy this for a little while? <laughs> no, but there's a part of equipping yourself and listening and preparing yourself. And I can, I can tell you, there were times when my dad would do something, and I'm like, man, when I'm a dad, I'm never going to talk to my son that way. Or whenever I grow up, I'm, and I never said that out loud because I enjoyed my teeth. But the, the reality is, in my head, I was often reparenting. And you're going to do that, young people. You're going to do that. And by the way, sometimes with good reason, because parents aren't perfect. They're not perfect. But we better come up with a plan 
And it is a part of it. And so when God said, you're going to teach them, here's the, here, here's the reality. When I trained my teachers every year and I monitored them, there were some things that I said, I want to see on your lesson plan. I want to see what is the objective for this lesson. I want to know what the outcomes are. In fact, here's how I want you to write this in your lesson plan. As a result of this lesson, my students will be able to, and then fill in the blank. If they didn't have at least three of those in the lesson plan, I'd send it back to them and they'd have to rewrite it. Why? Because without a plan, I knew this, the kids are going to go nuts in the classroom and then they were going to end up in my office because of discipline problems. If they didn't have a plan for what they were going to teach, it was, it, you don't walk them in front of a kid and say, well, what do you guys want to learn today? You don't do that. Well, you do, you're crazy. So why would we do that with discipleship? Why would we do that with parenting our kids according to values? So I have a plan. Number three, family discipleship is intentional. It's intentional. When we teach our children well, we're going to teach them intentionally. Here's what the scripture says. That we are to teach them, keyword, diligently. We shall teach them diligently to your children. Let me say this. If discipleship isn't a priority, it's because you lack intentionality. If you aren't intentional about discipleship, it will not be a priority in your life. What will be a priority? All the other things that are constantly screaming for your attention. Um, how am I going to pay the mortgage? <laughs> how many meals am I going to have at home this week? Uh, what is my grocery list? How am I going to pay the bills? Uh, who needs to get to what lesson or what sports practice? Uh, what project do they have to complete in school? Uh, and Whose birthday is coming up next week? You're going to be thinking about all those other things that are important that are a part of family life, that are a part of growing, but you're never going to have time to work in the intentional discipleship that God has called us to do without a plan and without making it a priority and without making it intentional. So intentionality means these things. It means scheduling the time. What time during the day do you have set aside for the spiritual instruction of your home? There's no right answer on this except sometime. It could be in the morning, it could be at night, it could be while you travel, it could be during mealtimes, it could be the hour between dinner and bedtime, it could be at bedtime, it could be a combination of those. It may be different on different days of the week. It may be seasons, it may change when your kids are little versus medium age versus older, but you need to have a time set aside. You need to know what you want to have as outcomes. You need to know what at this age should they be doing. It should be age-appropriate and challenging, but you don't expect your five-year-old to write you an essay on the biblical implications of a disrespectful attitude toward the sanctity of life. You don't, you don't expect them to do that. But you know, I think an 18-year-old can and should. And I'm not saying, well, I'm going to have my kid write a paper on that. But no, you should have conversations about that. There should be conversations and discussions. And, 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 and play devil's advocate. Do a little debate. Have some fun with that. You say, well, what is proper for kids? I think it always begins with the Word of God. Everything is built on the foundation of the Word of God. You heard Justin Doyle speak this morning. I love Justin. What a great guy. Here's a little story you may not know about Justin. Justin's from Palm Beach County, Florida. I lived in Palm Beach County, Florida for 20 years. That's where I first taught school. I was school principal at Berean Christian School in West Palm Beach. From, uh, and I, I was there from 1983 to the year 2000. My wife, by the way, grew up there. Uh, so, and I worked for and pastored the church that she grew up in. So she was there for 40 years before we, we moved here to, to Charlotte. But, but, but he told me this, and I had forgotten about it, and he reminded me even this week. Back in about 1991 or 92, when he was about this tall, his parents brought him to Berean Baptist Church, which is now called Grace Fellowship, at 8350 Okeechobee Boulevard, where I was the pastor. And right after I became the pastor, I started a program there called Awana. Awana is like Christian scouting without the camping, which is why I was willing to do it. <laughs> but what, basically what you do is you memorize verses, and you complete books, and you earn badges, and you get this little vest that you wear, and you go through different ranks, and, and you, you age out at about seventh grade or something like that. It's a great program. The uh, reason we don't have it here is because it takes like 5,000 workers, and uh, we have enough problems with, with uh, having you know, enough people, but it was, it was a great program. Some of you take your kids to other churches that have Awana programs, and I'd do the same if I were you. It, 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 it's a great program. But what he told me, he said, he would get dropped off at our church on Wednesday nights to do Awana, and he said, there I learned the scripture. 
As we've talked about his spiritual journey, he said, like me, he said, there were different phases. He said, I don't know for sure whether I came to know Christ at this age or this age or this age, but I know this. God got a hold of my heart, and I've never looked back since that moment. And why was that? It's because he was getting put under the right influences in the journey. He was working out his salvation, and he gave himself to Christ. I had the same experience. And, you know, it wasn't until my 20s where I feel like the Holy Spirit finally got all of Dan. I was wrestling with him for years and years, but when I was in my 20s, finally, I finally just gave up and said, Lord, you got me all, every bit of it. Now, did I have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I got that at salvation. Did the Holy Spirit have me? We had to arm wrestle for that for a few years, but I couldn't be a pastor unless he did. And I'll be frank with you, every once in a while, every once in a while, every single day, I keep trying to take a little bit of it back, and God says, no, 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 that's mine. And that's part of keeping his word a priority. And you know how you know what the priorities are? You learn the word of God. And when can you best learn the word of God? When you're that tall. And so, folks, getting your, I, I walked by Kid Life a while ago. And there was this huge line down the hall. They were all waiting to go to the little store where they get, they get little prizes for the verses they earn. And so I'm talking to the kids. I learned this many verses. And I got this many points and so forth. And I'm thinking, praise the Lord for that. We've got kids who can quote more scripture than most adults in this room over in that wing right now. And you know why? Because somebody's being intentional with their instruction. And they're making sure they get that framework. And by the way, no matter what happens in their mind, that is their default buttons. That's their owner's manual. That's their instruction booklet. And it's written on the very tables of their heart. And you know what's part of the heart? Priority. And you know what it'll do? It'll call them back to truth and to reality. And you start with that. So I don't want to keep on going, but I hope you get, kind of get the idea. Know what your outcomes are. Determine a strategy. Get your kids into the Word of God. By the way, remember, priority and strategy play together. So what do you tell your kids? All right, somebody going to write me a letter, and that's fine. I get them all the time. So, but what do you tell your kids when church is of a lesser priority than travel team? Oh, got quiet. All right? What do you tell your kids when it's more important that you get to school on time than you get to church on time? Still quiet. All right, let me go for another one. (laughs) What do you tell your kids when they can tell all the song verses of the pop music that you play in the car on the way to school every morning, but they don't know John 3.16? What does that say about your priorities? Say, well, Dan, now you just went and got personal. I think sometimes we kind of need that. Again, I'm not in the business of telling you what to do with your family. I am in the business of asking you tough questions based on the Word of God. All right? I'll let the Holy Spirit fill in all the blanks for you. But if you're not asking yourself tough questions and honest questions, then you may not have a super honest relationship with truth. And I would challenge you on that. When I get still and ask God to start showing me things in my life that are out of order, He always answers, and I never like it. I never like it. He'll show me words I'm saying. He'll show me things I'm doing. He'll show me people I'm walking by. He'll show me attitudes I've nurtured. He shows me tons of stuff. So what do I do? I avoid it. I keep my head busy. I keep things in my ears. But sometimes we need to shut up and ask God, am I doing the best with what you've called me to do? So we enforce expectations. We evaluate progress. And sometimes we make mid-course corrections. That's all part of being intentional. And sadly, sometimes we're more intentional about virtually every area of a child's development and experience than we are with their spiritual development and experience. Then we wonder why they quit the faith when they're 18. Whether it's sports or education or music or friends. By the way, this whole business of, oh, my kid's got to have more friends. Seriously, let's stop and think about that. The Bible says, beware of this fellowship of fools. Who was the coolest kid in your class at school? In mine... It was the biggest idiot, the funny dude, right? The class clown, the one who'd always make me snicker and laugh. And the Bible literally says, beware of that. Yeah, they make you laugh. You get a little endorphin rush. You get a little dopamine hit. Yeah, yeah, giggle, giggle, giggle. But in the end, if your kids are spending more time with other people than they are with you, that's a priority issue. That's an intentionality issue. And we ought to be really, really careful. Again, don't let the world tell you how to raise your kids. Go to the book. Go to the book. And the reality is you will teach your kids. I'm not saying you should keep your kids where they don't have any friends. 
I'm not saying that at all. And again, don't use the extremes to try to prove rules. You, you, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this. If your kids are, are in kid life, they got friends. If your kids are in a homeschool group, they're friends. If their kids are going to school, they got friends. They don't need more of that. They need more of you. They need more of you. So step into that. You say, yeah, but they're honorary little brats. Well, whose fault is that? <laughs> you know? yeah. And yes, they're honorary little brats. That's why they need parents. And if your kid's perfect, <laughs> I used to have you in my classroom, okay? You know, because I always had a parent like, my kid doesn't lie. And I'm like, well, are you lying to me? Because somebody's <laughs> lying right now. I think it's all of you, you know? We all lie. Why? Because we're manipulative and kids lie. So don't ignore it. Deal with it. Doesn't mean you're a bad parent because your kid lies. It means your kid's got a sin nature. God told us that was going to happen, so we got to deal with it. I don't know why we get so, you know, it's, it's not all about us. It's about truth. It's about right, it's wrong. It's about raising your kids. These are the kind of things that we can have honest conversations about. And we join together and we do our best. And we realize that God will have to fill in the gaps because none of us are perfect. Number four, discipleship involves instruction. Involves instruction. So it says, I want you to teach. The word is talk. You know, it talks about when you're walking, when you're, when, you, when, you're, when you're sitting by the way, when you get up and so forth. These are these moments where you're applying and demonstrating. And this is what discipleship involves as parents. It's incremental. Not every conversation you're going to have with your adult kid, you're going to have with your little kids. It's not even appropriate. You have to make sure it's the right time and the right place. I remember the story by Corey Ten Boom, Hiding Place, that book. You know, she was hidden away. It's a great book. You ought to read it with your kids. But she, she tells a story later on that she was walking through a train station with her dad. And she's like, you know, eight or nine years old. She's walking, and dad's carrying the suitcase, and she's walking to the train. She's feeling good. She looks up at dad and says, hey, dad, what's sex? You know, that question that makes every dad just, we just kind of freeze up, right? Ask your mother. You know, that, that just... You know, it's that, it's that moment. And so, and of course, they're very appropriate about the time, right? You know, as kids pop out that topic, just, you know, just spontaneously, we're in the middle of a train station, kids, shut up. But no, she said, Dad, what is sex? And he did this smart parenting move. He puts his suitcase down. He said, I'd be glad to tell you, honey, would you carry that suitcase for me? He picks up the other suitcase and keeps right on walking. Well, little Corey Ten Boom picks up this 50 pounds. And she's trying to drag it. She, oh, Daddy, wait, 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 wait. And she can't move because she can't carry the suitcase. And he turns around and he goes back and he picks up the suitcase and he goes, Honey, he said, that suitcase is too heavy for you, isn't it? She goes, Yes, Daddy. And she said, Yeah, and you know that topic that you just asked me, that question, that's a good question and someday you're going to be heavy and it's gonna, you're going to be big enough where you can carry that one. But right now it's like this suitcase. This isn't the best time for this. And I think we need to wait until you're a little bit older and I'll explain all about it to you. And they went and they got on their train. That's smart parenting, right? That's smart parenting. Not everything. By the way, there is no four-year-old that needs to know that, 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 uh, uh, about cross-dressing. There's no five- and six-year-old that needs to know about sexual practices and because we've got a large span in here, but you all know what I'm talking about. There's no, there's no seven- and eight-year-old needs to have somebody else talking to your kids about the things that deal with morality and so forth. Do not relegate. And you tell the teacher up front, you're going to be accountable to me. If you start talking about topics that you and I both know are not appropriate, you, they, you pay their bills. You talk to their principal. You talk to their teachers, and you say, I want to know if you're getting into a topic because that day my kid's going to be homeschooled. And then do it. You say, well, I'll lose a day's worth of work. Worth every penny of it. But don't let somebody else educate your kids that perversion is normal. It's just, it's just wrong, folks. And you say, well, yeah, you sound so extreme. That's not extreme. It wasn't. You know what's extreme? Extreme is turning 6,000 years of human civilization on its ear like we're doing right now. That's extreme. And we're doing it with our silence because we're afraid somebody's going to get upset with us. It's time for the believers, it's time for moral people, it's time for people who believe in right and wrong and believe in truth to stand up and say, not with my kids, you're not going to experiment. We tell them, I'm going on a rant, here we go. We tell our 14-year-olds they can go have an abortion without mom and dad's permission. That's twisted. You're telling your six-year-old that you may not be the biological birth that you were born and you don't have to listen to your mom and dad, and we won't even tell them, if you want to dress special at school, that's going to be okay. That's child abuse. And the longer we don't hold people accountable for that kind of nonsense, the worse it's going to get. And we need to stand up, and we need to vote, and we need to confront, and we need to say, these are my kids, not the villages. These are my kids, not the governments. 
and we need to stand up for it. You say, well, that sounds radical. I'll tell you what, if that doesn't get the mama bear out in you, maybe you shouldn't have had kids. I'm just going to say, all right? There's times when mama bears and daddy bears have to get up and protect the baby bears. And we're talking about eternal values. And people need to be held accountable for twisting and perverting the truth. And it's our responsibility. Well, that wasn't expected. I didn't even do that in the first service. It just <laughs> flowed out. All right. <laughs> oh, don't encourage me. <laughs> you never know what's going to pop out. All right. <laughs> Number five. I try to keep it in. I really do. I really do. Number five. Discipleship involves proximity. That's sitting and walking. Very quickly, proximity involves presence, patience, and purpose. Sometimes you're not going to feel like walking with your kids and talking with your kids. But you need to be there with them. It's interesting, several years ago I asked a bunch of kids whose parents were in the ministry, how, how did you survive it? What was good? What was bad? And they said, you know, the, it was good. And you know why it was good? It wasn't because It wasn't because my dad played games with me every night. It wasn't because I got special gifts. or He said it was because they were there. Every kid who turned out and loved their mom and dad who were in a preacher's home, and the ones that didn't, they resented their mom or their dad because they weren't there. They weren't there. He said, my dad didn't have to be entertaining us. I just liked the fact that he was there. We were together. We hung out. We went on drives together. We took walks. We were on vacations. Proximity is important, and Scripture teaches that. Number six, discipleship involves schedule. And the Bible gives a schedule. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you sit, and when you walk, by the way, what are those four times? Morning time, bedtime, meal time, and travel time. Those are the four times that we can capture for discipleship. I want to introduce you to a story and something, everybody knows this guy, but I, I, I want to do something, and if you'll give me five more minutes, okay, just five more minutes, and I'll, I'll finish as soon as we're over, I promise. But I'm going to ask Jason Lanier to come out because I've known Jason for almost a decade. I've known him longer than that, but, but on Facebook and so forth. But Jason, and he's, he's bringing his, two, two of his three boys out. And I'm asking him to do this because Jason does so much of this well and with intentionality. He is the most intentional person I know uh, in, in, in so many aspects of his life. And he, that flows over into how he's parenting. And, and he will tell you very quickly and with amazing descriptions that these boys aren't perfect, okay? <laughs> he, he, he will tell you that. So I personally think you're just perfect, and I'm so <laughs> proud of both of you. But no, but he'll, he'll tell you they're not perfect. And he'll tell you he's not a perfect dad, but he is an intentional dad. And that's, that's what I love about him. And, and he does some things I thought you'd find cool to hear about. And then I'm going to tell you something fun at the end. But, but, but Jason... I've watched you for years. First time we met, we went, to, we went to Burkdale. He's pushing Oliver. Oliver's like this long. He's pushing Oliver. We talked about Seinfeld and black and white cookies. That was our conversation. But then he started talking about parenting and things we like to do and so forth. And he started talking about different things. And I said, man, this is a guy that I really know I could, you know, appreciate and learn from and, and so forth. But Jason, tell us what inspired you to start using particularly drive time. And, and I know you take big walks because you live close to a nature preserve during those times. And, and what do you call it? And tell, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so I call the time with my boys, uh, let's become less stupid. And... Uh, <laughs> And that, that, that directs a lot of the conversational topics that we have or the podcasts that I curate for them. So, and it dawned on me, I used to teach public school many years ago, but it dawned on me that um, my children spend, and your children as well, probably, unless they're homeschooled, spend more, children, more time with other people uh, throughout their day than they do with me, with you. And I really wanted to capitalize upon the few moments that I do have with my boys, particularly the drive to from my house in North Charlotte to their school in Moore's or I drag them out on walks in the nature preserve. And uh, during those times, I have topics already curated, uh, Bible topics, um, current topics, cooking, gardening, just, you know, things I know that they're probably not necessarily getting throughout the day and things I want them to know about as I mold them into, what do, we t what do I tell you it means to be a Lanier? Godly, polite, and intelligent. That's right. So <laughs> they push them towards being godly, polite, and intelligent, and so, and becoming less stupid. <laughs> So, so and, and, you know, if you follow Jason on social media, you'll often see his reflections post-conversation. 
Uh, I've learned a lot from those. Uh, he, he's a, you know, and the thing I love about Jason is we have some similarities because we, we're both rednecks. I mean, we both, he grew up in Brunswick County, North Carolina. I drove through that area yesterday. Holy smokes. <laughs> I kept hearing banjos. I mean. <laughs> but, as long as you don't hear anybody say you got a pretty mouth, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> you, had to see the, you had to see deliverance. Um, <laughs> And I, I grew up far on the country, not that far. And, and, um, but you don't know some of this about Jason. Some of you don't. But, I mean, he sings opera. He literally sings for the local opera. Uh, he was, what was that? Uh, you were an operetta recently. What was that one? Down at uh, Iolanthe at Queen's University. Yeah, Queen's University. He, he had a role in one of those. And he does that for fun. Does that for fun, right? You know? And, and uh, he's, he's sang for the national, uh, the national anthem at Democrat and Republican conventions, and he's an equal opportunity singer. And he, he you know, he just he just goes and, and and he's a redneck. He really is a redneck. All right. But 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 the thing about it is he's intentional. He's intentional. He's not perfect. It doesn't matter where you come from, folks. It doesn't matter what your primary skills are. If you've got a plan and you work your plan and you and you have the word of God as your foundation, it works. It works. It's important. And and so Oliver. This is my man right here, all right? I, I, I expect there are going to be times like when you get in the car, because they've got a 40-minute ride. They live in North Charlotte. They go to Mooresville to go to school. That you've got to be like, not today, Dad. Please, today, don't do this to me. I'm so tired, and he's made you get out of bed and so forth. But what are some things that, he, that he's talked about? That, that may, what, what is it about him talking to you that makes you want to learn and makes you want to grow and makes you want to listen to him? Sometimes he, like, makes interesting podcast and some he always and he asks us questions after the podcast so he makes you listen to podcasts does he ever make you listen to pastor dan's podcasts sometimes see this is why i love this man right here <laughs> so i want you to notice what he said a while ago though he said i curate okay which is which is not a brunswick county word no all right so he makes lists for us common folks he literally thinks about it in advance. He said, this is a podcast that's dealing with a topic that I think Oliver could listen and handle. And so, and you do. And, and then at the end, what does he do? Ask questions. Like, does he, does he ask, were you, do you think he's trying to trick you to see if you were listening or not? Do you think that may be part of it? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure you've always got good answers, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> do you ever ask him questions? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably afraid to because he gives long answers, doesn't he? Yeah. So now, do you do you like taking walks with him? Yeah. When you go you go through the preserve, what do you usually? Why do, why are you good? Why are you doing that? Who do you take with you? Sometimes Liam. Don't you talk, don't you take your dog? Sometimes. Yeah. Something as common as walking the dog is what they do together. He doesn't go out just by himself. He takes. Some, you, you see these little intentional things? I'm going to go walk the dog. I'm not going to go by myself. I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm not going to go by myself. Why? Because I've got a plan. What is the plan? Carefully curated podcast that we will now discuss. See, see how that works? So, Liam, you're 16, right? Yes, sir. All right, so it's not cool to have Dad lecturing you all the time, is it? Not really. No, I, I, I can't <laughs> imagine. So, But, you know, as, as Dad has done this to you, sometimes he brings up hard topics. Some things that probably make you feel a little uncomfortable. Some of the things you probably say, Dad, can somebody else talk to me about this? Yeah. But w w when he does that, what, what are some things that that about teach you about him and yourself? And you're an emerging leader. And, I mean, you're very active at school. You, you do drama and music and sports and all kinds of things. So, so what does that tell you about your dad? Uh, for one, he's not afraid to speak his mind. So <laughs> that's always fun to figure out. And um, it, sh it shows that... <laughs> It shows that he genuinely does care for me, my well-being, and my future, because without these conversations, these hard conversations, I'll have to deal with them myself without him always mm -hmm. there beside me. So he's preparing me for the future, and it's good for me, but I'm not always aware of it until yeah. later. So in your experience, do a lot of the boys that you hang out with, and girls, guys and girls, do they have parents that do this? No, not, not similar to him, no. Not like that. All it's right. very, very unique. <laughs> so. But as Jason will tell you, it's not a parent's job to be liked. It's their job to be respected. 
I tell them all the time, I'm not their friend first. Yeah. They hear that regularly. Say that again, because I think I'm, it's important. I'm not their friend first. Yeah. You're their father first. Yeah. yeah. So, now, and we often say this about Liam. Liam is either going to grow up and change the world, or he's going to go straight to prison. Nobody knows. <laughs> You know I wouldn't tease him if I didn't know him and love him, right? You, you know that. But, but, but I, I will say this. If he ends up going to prison, it's not going to be because this man didn't try to show him the right way. That's the best we can all hope for. And by the way, I'm, I'm, that sounded really flippant. I don't mean that because I'm, some of you have kids that are in prison or could be, you know. And I don't mean that to be flippant. I, I, can you see our heart, though? The heart is, if they're going to, if they're going to go a different path, it's going to be over our dead bodies, literally, because that's what Christ did. That's what Christ, he loves the church. He loves us so much. There was not, no price he wouldn't pay. So we can have conversations that are uncomfortable, difficult, and inconvenient and hard. So Jason, last thing, as a dad in the throes of raising you know, three men, uh, what would you say to older men um, and even younger men about capturing these moments for conversation? Yeah, I think it's important that that we fathers realize we have a specific role to play in our families. And I think generally speaking, we would all agree that that role is one of provider, protector, and, and disciplinarian probably. Um, but don't think of disciplinarian simply as being the heavy when you come home. You know, uh, uh, It's also to discipline their minds, their hearts, their spirits. And uh, I just don't want to look back. I spend a lot of time singing at funerals as well, and not to be morbid, but I hear people's legacy over and over and over again at these funeral services, which is a beating drum to remind me time is short on this earth, but it's not the only life we live. And so I try to teach that to my boys, and I don't want to look back and see my funeral where uh, I had wasted time as a dad, as a protector, provider, disciplinarian with these, with these that our children are gifts, and uh, I want them to be people I like. I love them, of course, and I do like them most of the time. But I want them to grow up to be people that I, I, I like and that they can look back and see uh, what I did. So they continue that forward with their children. We should be legacy builders. And, um, and so I guess yeah. that answers it. So one of the things, and I sprung this on the boys this morning, but um, I'm going to schedule a time. And we're going to do a podcast, just the three, the four of us, five of us, whatever, uh, and, and, and talk about some more things and kind of expand this. Because I, I think there's some fun stories, but I also think there's some important principles that that we can learn. And Jason, guys, thank you so much for being here and, and doing that. So. And that's why you need to be part of ladies' ministry and men's ministry. That's why you need to be part of a small group. That's why you need to be in church. Because there are, I, I could have done this with a dozen, two dozen different people I know of right now in this room. Some of you who are raising your grandkids, some of you who are step-parents, some, some women who are single moms that are raising boys and girls. You know, we don't always get to pick the life we lead, but we can lead, live the life we lead with integrity and biblical values. And so let me encourage you, don't be discouraged. I know it's discouraging. Don't be. Take it one day at a time, one step at a time. We obey what God has called us to do. And we trust God to do what only God can do in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, in our communities. But this is a battle that's well worth fighting.